You're listening to Forecast, the marketing podcast for professional services leaders. If you're looking to generate more leads, win more deals, and take your firm to the next level, this show is your shortcut. Hey there, folks. Welcome back to the show. I am your host, Ahmed Munawar, Chief Marketing Officer at Boutique Growth. And boy, do I have something special for you today. I've got an interview here with Pia Silva, author of Badass Your Brand and co-founder of Worst of All Design. So let me tell you the quick story about how I met Pia. I was reading an article on Forbes back in 2016, and it was talking about this small little design agency based out of Brooklyn that went from $40,000 in debt and having to lay off all of their staff to somehow turning their business around to do $500,000 in revenue in the next 12 months. Now, needless to say, that story kind of got my attention, and I started following Pia, and worst of all, and I started reading their blog and watching their videos and just kind of paying attention to their ideas because their ideas were very, very powerful. And it wasn't long before I found myself on a plane headed down to New York City and sitting in, worst of all's beautiful Williamsburg studio, subjecting myself to the brand shrink. Now, the brand shrink is what Pia calls a lead service. It's their very first engagement that they conduct with a new client where they ask you a series of very, very smart, very sharp, and very pointed questions about your brand. And they're trying to discover through this process, what is it that makes your brand unique? What is it that makes your brand stand out? What is it that makes your brand, in Pia's words, badass? And let's just say that all it took was about two hours and something to the tune of $1,000 And I walked out of that meeting with my business turned completely upside down in a very good way. And so I was super excited when I heard that Pia was finally writing her book called Badass Your Brand, because I realized not everyone is as crazy as me to fly down to New York City just to do a one-on-one brand shrink with Pia and her team. Now you don't have to. Now you can buy the book at badassyourbrand.com. It'll cost you, God, I don't even know, but it's, it's nothing. Don't even think about it because the ideas in that book are worth their weight in gold. Now, in this interview, we're not going to recap what's in the book. I hate it when people do that. I want you to go and read the book. I don't want you to rely on this interview to get the Coles notes. The book is important. It won't take you long to read. And I guarantee you, it'll change the way you think about your business. Go and buy it. Like, actually go buy it right now. Like, hit pause. Go to badassyourbrand.com and then come back. Okay, I hope you're back and I hope you've actually made your purchase and you've ordered a copy of the book, either you know an ebook or a physical copy, whatever floats your boat, doesn't matter to me, but you've got your copy and now I want you to sit back and listen to this interview. Now this interview will be more meaningful to you once you've read the book, so you can always circle back and listen to it again, because what I did was I made note of all the questions that came to mind when I went through the book and these are the questions that I wanted to ask Pia and I just kind of assumed that, well, you might want to ask them as well. So I think that's enough of an introduction. Let's dive right into the interview. If you want to grab the show notes for this episode, you can get them at forecast.fm slash badass. Again, that's forecast.fm slash badass. So sit back and enjoy. All right, and we're live. Pia, thank you so much for taking the time to join me here on the show. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here. 
So listen, I'm obviously a big fan, and we've been in touch for a while, and we've worked together a little bit. And as soon as I got my hands on a copy of the book, luckily earlier before the public did, I, I devoured the thing in, I want to say, two nights, two or three nights. So I went through it pretty fast. So first of all, Thank great you. book. That's awesome. <laughs> no, great book. That. I got a ton out of it. And, you know, I'm familiar with your work and your approach and your philosophy, and, and, and I was already impressed. But the way you kind of distilled it all down into something really kind of bite-sized that people can consume and start applying was, was quite brilliant. So kudos to you. Appreciate that. Thank you so much. So what I thought we'd do today, Pia, instead of kind of going through the contents of the book, because I want people to actually go and pick up a copy and read it for themselves, because that's <laughs> really where, where the value is. So if you could just maybe give us like the, you know, the really, really condensed version of the takeaway from the book. And then I want to jump into some of the questions that I had after reading it. Yeah, absolutely. That sounds good. So big picture is if you want to stop spinning your wheels, like I know so many small business owners do overworked, underpaid, don't know where their clients are coming from, then you need to build a badass brand that both attracts your ideal perfect clients and allows you to charge a premium price, which means you can charge more than the competition and still win the business. And the book really outlines in you know six lessons, I would say, six main things that you can do in order to badass your brand. Excellent, yeah, and one of the things I love about the book, Pia, is, and the whole idea is the way you, you branded it. Right? <laughs> this idea of badass branding, I mean, it's, it immediately gets people's attention, makes you wanna learn more. And that's actually one of, the, one of my first questions that I have for you is, you know, in my space, professional services, B2B really, professional services, you know, boring brands are a bit of an epidemic. And I think one of the misconceptions that people have in my space is that, that boring equals professional. Right, that if you're not uh, if you're not boring, if you're not all buttoned up, then uh, then you're not very professional, and that's going to cost you business. So, what advice could you give, kind of the, the smaller brands, right, the, the the boutique firms that I work with and that are listening, to kind of break out of that you know boring professional buttoned up mindset and really start to engage with their audience and and be quote unquote badass. Sure. Well, first of all, badass does not always mean that you are as badass and crazy as we are. Let's get one thing straight. You know, we, uh, I appreciate you saying that, that the whole book is branded. Obviously that's by design. We are a branding company. I mean, it would be a real problem if I wasn't able to brand my own work. And that's one of the things that I really preach is that you need to walk the walk of whatever it is that you are. But having said that, you can be badass in your industry and still not be crazy. It's really not about you being something different or wild. It's really about you being a badass as a business owner. So looking inside yourself at what you're amazing at, uh, what you're truly an expert at, the highest value you have to provide, and who those ideal clients are, what kind of projects you can do for them that you're really going to knock it out of the park with, and then being badass enough to hone in on that, hone in on that with your messaging, with your pricing, with your process, hone in on that in the way that you don't take on clients who don't fit into that ideal mold. And so badass really encompasses almost more than the quality, how the messaging is, it really encompasses how you are as a business owner. Being, You can be a pretty, you know, let's say buttoned up corporate 
lawyer who is a badass. And we have actually worked with quite a few lawyers and financial firms. Like we, they actually flock to us because it's not about being crazy. It's about really just owning your area of expertise like a badass would. Yeah, no, I'm really glad you went there because I think one of the misconceptions that people might have is that, that you have to be kind of edgy the way that Pia is edgy to be badass, right? But, you know, not everyone can be as edgy as Pia, right? Um, <laughs> nor should they. <laughs> nor, nor should they. It's not necessarily advisable. Well, Don't it's try not authentic, you know? I mean, that's the point. You can't create something. Badass brands are not created. They're discovered, you know? They're something that already exists. It's really about taking the actual authentic thing that's inside of you and being bold enough to put it on a billboard, you know, to go extreme with it, to own it. That's where the badassery comes in. It's not the actual message. Um, it's the authenticity of it and really owning it. Badass brands are not created, they're discovered. Could you go deeper into that a little bit? How does one discover their badassery? Yeah, well, it's what we do with clients is usually look backwards at their experience. So we actually don't work with startups because we want clients to have had some sort of experience in their area of expertise before. That's where their badassery exists. So who have your favorite clients been? Uh, what were the best projects that you did? When were you operating at a place of the highest value you have to offer? You know, finding that spot, that sweet spot where you can really deliver something incredible. That's where you start to find your niche and what you can build your whole message around. And I think that most people are fearful of narrowing in different ways, narrowing in their messaging, in their target market, in their offerings, whatever it is, narrowing scares people because especially when you're looking for clients, people think that narrowing is somehow leaving money on the table. Mm. But I see it as the complete opposite. If you play the generalist game, that is leaving all the money on the table because you're playing a game that everybody else is playing. You're not special. You're not showing yourself as special. You're not standing out. And it's a much, it, you'll spin your wheels forever if you play that game. See, there's an idea that I think most people would agree with conceptually, right? The idea of specialists <laughs> demand premium prices. Specialists are highly sought after. You know, nobody will pay a, a generalist the same fee they'll pay a specialist, right? Most people would agree on that. And most people would agree, maybe after a little bit of explaining the importance of narrowing your market and narrowing your niche down to a more specific segment. In practice, and I'm sure you see this time and time again, it's so much harder than that, isn't it? Well, absolutely. I mean, half of my job is just to get people's minds right, you know, and to get them really excited and embracing it. And there is that um, in between time where somebody starts to focus and they haven't quite built up the uh, reputation or the, you know, inflow of clients that there's a little bit of a lull when you start saying no to certain clients. But very quickly, when you get those first sales in your focus, and you see the power of that niche and that being very specific and owning it, it snowballs very, very quickly. So again, it takes a badass to really make that kind of leap. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. So it's uh, it has exponential opportunity. Yeah, I want to talk a little bit about this idea of saying no. I mean, you just touched on it. And it's one of the questions that I had lined up. Again, it's, that's another <laughs> another area where you know it sounds it sounds nice in, in theory, right? And you do a really good job of articulating the benefits of saying no in your book, um, but in practice, you know, much more difficult, especially you know if you need the money or if you think it, it'll help with cash flow or if you've got bills to pay and so on. What I'm wondering is, what are some practical ways that you can kind of set yourself up to be able to say no? 
right? So that when the time comes and, and there's an opportunity that you kind of deep down know that you should decline, how can you make that easier upon yourself? <laughs> Sorry, I told you. How can you make script. it easier? Well, that's a no. That's okay. I'm, uh, it's okay. How can you make that easier on yourself? First, it's about connecting with really understanding what it means to take on a client that is outside of your area of expertise that might be a difficult client. I was just with a client earlier today, actually, and she gets this. And yet I was watching her do it because she said, oh, this client, you know, they're not paying me enough. They're a ton of work and and all these other things that make them not a perfect client. But she said, but their company from the outside looks really good. And it's a good case study. This And I told her, do you know how much time you're wasting with this person? And what could you be doing with that time instead to get a better client? So you're spending hours because this client is very needy, because they're not exactly your perfect client. So yeah, they're paying you a fee, not enough to work with you. But in the end, what if you put all of that time and energy into creating amazing content that could get you a higher paying client? Um, You know, doing all sorts of activities that could build your brand reputation. And that's where you build value in the long term. So if you take a a crappy client right now who's not paying you enough and wasting all of your time, any of those or all of those, you're really just taking the cash now and you're sacrificing the long-term value of your brand. Now, of course, you can do that. We've all done it. When you're strapped for cash and you need to pay the rent this month, you know, take the client. But that's not a long-term strategy. And it will slow down what you're trying to accomplish. Are there any particular stories that come to mind from your own experience? Because, you know, and we'll link to the Forbes article in the show notes, but Pia's firm, Worst of All Design, has this famous story of going from $40,000 in debt to $500,000 12 months later in sales. And you went through this transformation yourself where you were bidding on work and doing proposals and doing all this kinds of stuff. And then you, you re-engineered your business model and, and started saying no to the types of clients that, that were not the best fit for you. Do you have any stories from that experience that kind of highlight uh, highlight the, ch- the challenges in being able to do that? Yeah, well, when we pivoted our business, we went from trying to pitch thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar branding projects, you know, as a small agency, so six. 12-month projects for 30, 50,000, um, which by the way, we were having a very hard time closing because there's a lot of competition at that price point, or a lot of great competition. And we pivoted to this intensive model that we have now, this uh, brand shrink plus brand up model where we do entire brands in one to two day intensives. And by pivoting, we had to decide that we were going to say no to larger clients. Now, that meant not just that people weren't just showing up and saying, oh, I want to pay you $30,000 to do a, a brand, but they were asking for proposals and they were inquiring. And right off the bat, you know, I would say, look, this is our model. And if it doesn't fit for you or better yet, I would ask them about their project. And I would say, you know what, you've got a team of people. We don't work with teams of people. We only work with one to three person service businesses. So thanks, but no thanks. Like, I don't even want to waste another minute of my time on the phone talking to you about this project. So even though we were still strapped for cash, I knew that using that time that maybe I, you know, somebody else might say, 
oh, well, this person might want to hire me. So let me talk to them for a little bit. No, I guess I could write her a proposal and see if I get it. I said, forget that. I don't want to put any more energy into projects like that. I want to just focus on getting the message out there that we do this one to two day intensive and it's really badass and it's really different for a very specific audience. And so that's what I did. So it meant that we were able to turn our business around within months. I mean, we pivoted and then all of a sudden we started getting referrals. Uh, once I educated my network very, very quickly. Yeah, that's that was my next question, actually. You know, somebody might say that, well, I mean, so what if I take on a deal that's not my ideal client? Just just this one time. What's the big deal, right? What implications does that have on, on your reputation and the referrals that you might be able to attract? Right. So that's why I call it fast cash. You know, you might make the money and spend the time, but it is adding less than nothing to your overall brand reputation in the long run. So if you do a project that's outside of your niche, that person or that company is not going to be a great referral for what you do best. They're going to think of you as doing the kind of project that you did, which is not what you want to do. Similarly, people who don't pay a lot or who want a discount, they are likely to hang out with other people who want discounts. So you're not you're um, you're not farming the right kind of clientele, you're not building the right kind of reputation. When you only focus on working with your perfect ideal clients, every client ha- brings two benefits to you. One, like the actual value of the project, you know, the price that they paid, and two, the uh, increased expertise, you know, you've every time you do a project, you are increasing your skills in that niche, you're building a reputation with that person, they're going to really get clear and understand what you do. So they're going to become a great referral source for you moving forward. And just in general, uh, when you say no to clients that are outside your niche, I've had I've gotten amazing referrals from people that I turned down. Because by saying no to them, and saying, look, you know, that's not really what we do. And I've had some, like we don't do product businesses, for example, and I've had some product businesses say to me, can you make an exception? I really like your stuff. I'm like, sorry, we just don't do it. We could, but I just don't want to, frankly. But also, I, it's, I'm not, that's not my area of expertise. Like you should get someone who's really good at products. And those people have sent me service businesses because they don't forget who I am and what I do because I made it so clear with the no. So there's just all these tangential benefits to really owning your niche um, and saying no. I forgot the question now, so you you, you absolutely answered it. And yeah, I would second that because I mean, this is one of the things that you tried to hammer home into me when I was in your space last year. And since then, you know, I try to stay away from B2C firms. So anybody that's targeting consumers, I try mm-hmm. to stay away from that. It's not my bread and butter. And just, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had a call with a, with a healthcare provider in the B2C space. And, you know, and they came to my website, they took my video course, and they loved it. They loved everything. And it really spoke to them, um, even though I wasn't really speaking directly to them. And in the end, when I said, look, you know, you're not the right fit, because I prefer to work with B2B companies and so on, they really appreciated how candid I was and how honest I was. And, and that's all already translated into other more relevant and appropriate referrals for me. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Yeah, isn't that, don't you feel strong getting off that call? Yeah, and it's it's one of those things, right? It's a leap of faith, right? You know there's money on the table, right? You know you're saying no to it, but you've got to just be confident in, you know, your targeting and your business model and your approach to know that it's all going to come back and pay off in the end. And I want to highlight one particular point that jumps out at me from what you just said, which is, you know, there's two things that you're getting with every new client. There's, you know, the money and, and, and the project and so on, and then there's the relationship and the potential referral. And when you think about it, one client could refer you to multiple people. 
right? So that second piece could easily be more valuable than the actual project or the cash itself. Absolutely. That's a great point. Yeah. Awesome. So let's jump into some discussion around the sales process, Pia. And maybe just to, to prime this discussion, could you give us a little sure. bit of insight from the book on, on your kind of recommended sales process? Sure. So it's one half of building a badass brand. So I say there are four angles and and the sales process is really two pieces of it. One of them is something called, I call a lead product. So the idea of getting rid of all free work, getting rid of proposals, getting rid of uh, free strategy sessions, spending time, you know, nurturing potential clients to eventually get them to a proposal or to a sale. Instead, I like to cut through that completely, build something I call a lead product, which is essentially the first step to working with you in a more manageable, at a more manageable price. So my lead product is a brand shrink. It's 9.50, it's an hour and a half interview with me, and at the end, you get a thoughtful strategy about your badass brand from me. And what that does is it turns all of these leads and all of the things I used to do, I used to spend hours on proposals, it turns it into a paid proposal, essentially. So I get paid, I deliver something of value, the strategy I tell people, that's worth more than I'm charging in and of itself. But I'm also creating this relationship. They're valuing my time. It just completely changes the way that I operate with clients. It cuts through all of that free work and it allows the client to almost try it, like get a much better experience of what we're like to work with. And then at the end of it, they can decide if they want to you know, buy into the bigger project, which is the main thing that we sell, which is our brand ups. Um, so that that lead product to main offering, I call it a bullseye product, the lead product to the bullseye product, that's really for small service businesses. I mean, that's the way to hyper target who you're focusing on, what your process is, and increase the value of very quickly over time. Because when you focus on something specific and you repeat that process over and over again, you can build your expertise in that area very, very quickly. So that's my sales process product. It doesn't apply to every kind of business, but usually parts of it apply to every business. Okay, so the question that I would anticipate people would ask here is, how does that contrast and compare to the idea of consultative selling. And obviously in professional services, especially the B2B space, you know, consultative selling is kind of, that's the prevailing wisdom in the industry. So the way that you sell is you go and you interact with a prospect and you engage them in a conversation where you're providing value. You begin to understand their needs, understand what their pain points are, and then you develop something, you know, that's kind of tailored to what they need, not terribly different from what you were doing way back when, um, when you were targeting mm-hmm. the large agency business. I'm wondering, you know, how would you convince somebody who's kind of, you know, bought into the consultative selling approach? Maybe they're a B2B consultant of some sort and is, you know, very kind of hesitant or skeptical about your sales process. What would you say to them? Well, this is that process. You're just charging for it instead of giving it away for free. And you're able to charge for it because instead of it just being a bunch of questions, you're actually giving some value at the end. So that's a big part of it. A lead product has to deliver value and solve a problem, at least partially solve a problem that a client knows they have. That's the only way to get to the sale in the first place. But the other piece of this is building a brand and a reputation and your expertise such that 
all of that trust that that consultant is building is actually built almost pre-call. So I'm a big fan of creating content because content is essentially that uh, consulting experience, but it's repeated over and over again without your time. So most times when people call me, they've already read at least a few, if not many of my articles. So that's how I built the trust with the time. And so when we get on the phone, it's, it's, you know, the first step is a brand drink. If you want to hear what I have to say specifically about your business, we can do that, but that costs this amount of money. So it's just a different take on it's that model. It, it is using those principles. It's just, I think it's being a little smarter about it. Yeah, and, and that's that ties into one of the other questions I had for you was about marketing tactics, because when you look at your sales process, if you're not doing that kind of content marketing, you're not creating content that people can consume for free, right, on their own, mm-hmm. um, and can be kind of self-directed in, in their learning, then... You know, you're not going to get people to a point where they're ready to put the money down for a lead service. Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Uh, yes and no. I have spoken to people and sold them the brand shrink. I mean, back when we started, I didn't really have a blog or I had a very poorly written blog at the time. But there's a lot of pieces going on. One is that being really, really targeted about who your ideal client is and having that initial conversation to identify whether this person is actually that ideal client and having the integrity to say, you're not my ideal client, so I don't want to work with you. That's step one. And people will always gravitate towards somebody who is specializing in what they are as opposed to a generalist. So that already is knocking you up a peg. The second part is that you're solving a problem with it. Uh, So you know, a lot of people, when they read the lead product, sometimes they think, oh, so maybe I'll do, like, I'll give you an example, like a website audit. I'll look at your website and I'll tell you what's wrong with it. That's not solving a problem. I don't want to hear what's wrong with my website. I want to hear what I should do about it. So, you know, it always has to have some sort of outcome that is valuable for the client. And if you are specifically targeting a certain clientele and you solve a problem that they have at a relatively low price point. I mean, the price point can be different depending on what your main offering costs, but it's low in comparison to your main offering. Then it's actually a pretty relatively easy sell because you're basically lining. The stars are aligning. You are the ideal client. You have this problem. I have this solution. It's not that much. And you get to essentially try it before you buy it. And by buy it, I mean the big, the big service to solve the problem. Does that make sense? Yeah, and you know, I think it also kind of pushes you a little bit too, right? Because when you get into this this kind of process of offering the free consultations or the free calls or whatever it may be, because they're not paying you, you can only take it so seriously, right? <laughs> and, and Yes, that's a great point. And actually, people value things that they pay for. So they actually will listen to you more if they pay for the product, and, and they will get more benefit out of it. Oh, and anybody that does any kind of free consultation will tell you that no-shows is a big issue. Right, people mm, book, book yeah. sessions and they don't they don't show up because they haven't paid anything. There's nothing invested, right? But then even on your end, you know, if if they're paying you, you're more invested in delivering, you know, an incredible product. Even though it sounds like if you structure it right, it wouldn't be terribly different from what you would have been doing in the free consultation. Right. right. Exactly. Exactly. A lot of the same strategies are involved there. And by the way, your time is valuable. I mean, really connecting with the fact that your knowledge of your space and your ability to ask the right questions and to give somebody a plan, it might not be all of the answers, but even telling them, you know, this is where you should focus solving this problem. Don't worry about this part. That alone can be 
invaluable to a, a business. And that's where you're really selling your value, not your time. It might just be an hour conversation, but you've spent however long, a lifetime building the expertise that you have in order to say, okay, after an hour of talking to you, I can tell you that this is your problem and this isn't, and this is what you should do next. And I think that that's worth money. And as you said, people will value it if they pay for it. And I think that ties in perfectly to my final question for you. Could you explain the difference to people uh, between a service provider and an expert? What's the difference and why should they really pay attention to this? Sure. Oh, my favorite topic. (laughs) Um, So... I call a service provider somebody who is really the hands, like they are there to provide a service, the person hiring them knows what they want this person to do. So graphic designers are often service providers. I need you to design a logo. I, you know, and they ask, oh, well, what do you want it to be like? You know, what, what colors do you like? Like they're basically there because they know the programs, they know about design and they're going to deliver the end product. The difference between that and service providers tend to charge based on time. Even if they charge a project rate, they are assessing it based on the amount of time they're going to spend. Experts are the opposite. Experts start from what's your goal? So what are you trying to accomplish? And and how can I, based on everything that I know, how can I help you get there? So instead of what do you want your logo to look like? It's what are you trying to accomplish big picture? And then I will essentially tell you what your logo needs to look like to accomplish that goal. And experts, because they are able to bring that level of knowledge, can charge based on value, not based on time. So it is the value and expertise that that person has built up over time, and they are bringing that to you and consulting with you on what you need to do as opposed to just providing a service. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, Seth Godin tells a story about uh, a book cover designer whose name I forget, of course, who, you know, charges, you know, tens of thousands of dollars for their book covers, even though it takes them, you know, maybe a few hours to do, right? Um, Mm. If you break that down to an hourly rate, it's astronomical, right? But they position themselves and establish themselves so well as an expert, as a sought after expert, that clients are more than happily willing to pay their fee because they don't see it as, as the hands, right? They see it as the brain. So, no, that, that's that's really important. And that's one of the things I've really taken away from my interactions with UPIA, uh, both previously and, and now through the book, is is it's really a question of mindset, first and foremost, right? You need to think of yourself and see yourself as that expert. And you, you need to kind of embody that role to be able to exude that kind of confidence with clients and make them see you in that light as well. And if you know what you're doing, then that should be that should be fairly straightforward. Absolutely. And, you know, I just want to speak to that really quickly, because I think that people get a little intimidated. Maybe they don't necessarily think that they're worth this premium price, or I can't, I'm not that expert yet. And I think that's okay. That's actually why I push specialization so much, because you can become an expert at anything if you do it and practice over and over and over again. So you can focus how you provide your services and start at a price that you feel comfortable with. And maybe that price will be more of a service provider level price. But if you do that over and over and over again and build that process so that you're better and better and better at it, then you can increase your price to more expert level. I mean, that's how you become an expert. You do something over and over and over again until you are a real badass at it. Um, So anyone can become an expert. You just have to commit to it. And I feel like it also kind of can act as a very effective filter uh, in terms of filtering who your target market is and, and what you're selling, right? If you feel more confident as an expert in certain markets and delivering certain services, then maybe that's where your badass lies. 
Absolutely. And I will tell you over the years, I, you know, have gotten more and more confident over uh, what we deliver, because at this point, I've done so many of these projects. I mean, in the beginning, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty intense because we build these entire brands in like sometimes a one day intensive. So we're promising to release a website fully built and designed at 6 p.m. at the end of the brand up along with all the other materials. And that used to be a lot more nerve wracking. But after having done so many, it's like, I know exactly how this goes. You know, like we have never not done it. I can basically guarantee that we will do it. And so that expertise and that confidence only comes from having done it. So you have to do it. Yeah, you got to put in the time. You got <laughs> to do a volume of work, right? No such thing as an overnight success. Yeah. Pia, thank you so much. This has been an incredible conversation. I'm sure we could go all day and I'd be happy to, but you know, you've got things to do, I'm sure as well. So <laughs> thank you so yeah, much. No, why, why don't you leave us with kind of the, the call to action? What do you want folks to do who listen to this interview? Uh, well, if this stuff sounds interesting to you, then definitely go to badassyourbrand.com and download the first chapter of my book. As Ahmad said, like we had this very interesting experience of going into debt, hitting rock bottom and pivoting and getting out of it very quickly and making a lot of money without advertising, without networking and all of that. And I actually relayed that entire story in the first chapter of the book. So you can just grab that on badassyourbrand.com for free and see what you think. Awesome. And I'll add to that, definitely follow Pia's weekly weekly Forbes column, I think it is, right? Yeah. 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 Follow follow Pia's weekly Forbes column, buy the book, follow her column, and I think you'll get Thank a ton you. of value out of both. Uh, so badassyourbrand.com. How can they find your Forbes column, Pia? Forbes, Pia Silva. I'm the only one. <laughs> Perfect. All right. Check that I think out. I'm the only Pia on Forbes, so I <laughs> probably will find it. It should be an easy yeah. find. Pia, thanks be. again so much, and we should definitely do this again. Yes, thank you so much. That was fun. 